Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and this week I am joined by Tiffany Imer who is a blogger specialising in recovery, healing body image and looking at things through a weight-inclusive anti-diet lens. Now we have so many facets to this conversation today, uh, but as the title suggests, we really discuss Tiffany's experience as a black woman in recovery and the different barriers that she faced in her own journey um, than I would as a white woman. And so I really appreciated Tiffany's candor with this and honesty, and we covered so much. We spoke a lot about exercise too, and I just really think you are gonna love Tiffany, love to hear her experience. And if you don't already go follow her, you must go follow her. But before we get into this week's conversation, I wanted to remind you that you may not have seen, you may have seen that I announced the release of the Train Happy Journal. Now, what is the journal? If How is it different from the, my first book, Train Happy? So I like to think of my first book, Train Happy, as you know, the theory behind intuitive movement and, you know, it's the, you know, the why of intuitive movement. But the Train Happy Journal is all about the how to implement it. And so it's a journal consisting of a 30 day challenge to kickstart your intuitive movement journey with 30 days of journaling, challenges, tasks. And I just hopefully packed in some really helpful and useful exercises for you and when I talk about exercises I'm not talking about working out I'm talking about um sort of mental exercises and you know giving you the correct questions and prompts to help you on your own journey because I think that's the biggest question I have is Talia like I love this message but how exactly do I implement it in my life and so this is what the journal is about It's available for pre-order now and pre-orders mean a lot when it comes to these things. So if you are thinking about getting it before Christmas as a gift for yourself, as a gift for someone else, pre-ordering it would be awesome. I've put all the pre-order links in the show notes. That includes the pre-order link for the UK, the US and international listeners. So it's available in the UK from December 2nd and it's available in early January, I think the 11th in the US. Um, and if you're an international listener, you should be able to pre-order your your journal for December 2nd as well. So you can take advantage of that earlier pre-order and then you can get it for Christmas. Um, so I wanted to tell you about that if you hadn't heard about it already. You can find more about it over on my Instagram account, on my at Tally Rye Instagram account, as well as my newsletter, um, which you'll find all the information for on my uh, Instagram account or my website. But before we also get into the conversation, it's time to remind you, it's our Train Happy Trooper of the week. <laughs> 
This week's train happy moment comes from listener Rosa. And Rosa says, my train happy moment of the week was listening to my body and allowing rest. I attend an early fitness class several days per week, but one morning my alarm went off and I felt tired and sore, so I went back to bed and skipped the class. The biggest win for me is that I don't have plans to make up for that missed class. I'm simply allowed to rest. And Rosa, that is that unconditional permission to rest in action, and we love to hear about it. We love hearing it in practice and I think that's such a great example of just working with your body and listening to your body. If you want to hear more from Rosa, well read more from Rosa, you can find her as our Train Happy Trooper of the week over on the Instagram page at Train Happy Podcast. And if you want to be the Train Happy Trooper of the week, please DM us over there at Train Happy Podcast or you can email us at trainhappypodcast at gmail.com. Alright Let's get into this week's chat from the brilliant Tiffany. Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. We've been trying to do this for ages and we've finally made it happen. Forever. I swear, time zones are Ugh. literally my worst enemy. Same. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here, though. <laughs> Same. And then it's been like daylight savings and everything else, and it's just been so confusing. But yeah, we had previously scheduled some recordings, but I'd messed up time zones. I think you'd be you'd got confused as well. And so yeah. <laughs> we've ended up we've ended up recording and I'm so pleased. And I'm so pleased to kind of virtually meet you because I'm a big fan of your work and yeah, it's just so cool to kind of get to chat with you. Yeah, for sure. And thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm excited to have this conversation. I feel like talking about anti diet is one of my favorite things to do so I'm excited to be here <laughs> same we're, we're in our element um I feel like we should start with kind of how you how you began really and I wanted to say that you've recently become a full-time content creator but my understanding is you've worked in fitness for a while and it's been a big part of your life for a while but what has been your path leading up to being this kind of anti-diet fitness content creator Yes. So the path has been a fun journey and it has so many different twists and turns and winding roads. Um, I actually started out online as a style blogger um, back in 2011. And I remember I started my blog as a creative outlet. I was working a nine to five. I was bored. And so I really just wanted to share my style. And I had gone to school for uh, fashion uh, and retail studies. So style, interior design, all of that was kind of my element. And I transitioned over the years to where I am now, just through life experience, through my own recovery, through discovering that the way that I was living was not good for my mental health. And so over the course of about five or six years, I realized that style blogging, while I love style, it just wasn't the way that I wanted to show up in the world anymore. I wanted to really help people who went through something similar that I went through which was, you know, a decade long eating disorder followed by a poor relationship with food, a poor relationship with exercise, and then generalized disorder eating. And once I realized that I just couldn't do it anymore, which was around um, 2015 or 16, I, um, you know, made a decision and a choice to pursue health that had nothing to do with weight loss or shaping my body or, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and trying to look like what I thought society wanted me to look like. and 
I transitioned my own mindset first and began learning about what it's like to live without, without going in and out of diet cycles. And once I did that, I knew it would be my passion to share that with other people because I just, I, I almost never have conversations with people when they don't express dissatisfaction with their body or express that they're going on a new diet or they want to lose weight. So that is how I ended up going down a road of researching anti-diet and really doing all the reading, all the learning and all the unlearning of diet culture and then sharing that with the world. I am interested in your experience of like 2015 deciding like I'm gonna kind of ditch diet culture and do my own thing because I in 2015 was kind of like still quite in the thick of it all but Mm -hmm. maybe in like 2017, 2018 is when I was like oh I could do this another way but I feel like even just a couple of years earlier things like people weren't having these conversations around what is diet culture like we just didn't Mm -hmm. know about it or at least I felt like I didn't know about it I don't know about you but none of this was on my radar that there was even an option to do things differently um how was it for you at that time for me it was it was more of an organic thing I hadn't heard the term anti-diet until later um right around 17 18 um and it wasn't something that I was intentionally saying oh I am actively anti-diet it was more I have been dealing with these ups and downs, these highs and lows, depression, and I knew that I couldn't live like that anymore. And so I kind of intuitively moved away from diet culture because I knew that I wasn't about keeping up with the Joneses anymore. And I knew that I needed to pursue health for health's sake and Mm -hmm. for my mental health. And so I started down the path of like that definitely started me down the path of being actively anti-diet and learning more about this other way. Um, cause you have the, these, you know, two major views of health. Um, and then there's all these other little pieces in between that. Um, but as I started down that journey for myself is when I started to stumble upon the anti-diet lifestyle because I was actively looking for people who wasn't all about weight loss or, you know, growing a butt, getting abs and all of that. And so that's how I kind of came into the, you know, more of the anti-diet lifestyle as far as talking about it online and actually having a name for it and having research behind it. Um, But for me, it was definitely like an intuitive transition uh, because I, I didn't, I didn't want to be at the gym for hours just because I felt like I needed to be as skinny as possible. And that was always my thing. Like I always felt like I looked bigger than I was. And I always felt like in order to get ahead, I needed to be like that teeny tiny double zero. And this is American sizes, but that teeny tiny double zero. And that was my goal. Um, and I just knew I didn't want to do that anymore. So it was a, it was a very natural transition for me. It sounds like you were in a very exhausting cycle. Of, oh, yeah. <laughs> just doing stuff. Like you said, I love that phrase of like keeping up with the Joneses because that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. trying to keep up with what you think society wants from you and what you think other people will be pleased to see. And like, I don't know if this was your experience, but actual health and mental health and physical health and kind of wellness gets lost along the way like it does we think we're doing 
all these things, these restrictive things like, you know, slaving away in the gym for what this supposed ideal that we're meant to live up to, but really it's not. And, and also that whole trying to get that small body is a thing mm-hmm. for health, mm-hmm. but actually it's, it's not that at all. And I, you know, it's funny because I think deep down people, like we know that like intuitively and within our souls, we know that it's not all about health because for me, it wasn't like, it definitely wasn't about health. It was about me being able to position myself differently as a dark skinned black woman living in America, like the discrimination that I faced as a dark skinned black woman, I, in my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, do everything I can to look different than what people stereotype dark skinned black woman as. So, you know, my way of doing that was being small and being super fit and being super healthy. And it was more about projecting an image so that I could, you know, be able to get a, get ahead and, you know, be able to get jobs, um, be a more likable person, be viewed differently. And for me, that's where most of it stemmed from because I was trying to counteract this, um, you know, this worldview that, I was faced with and the stereotypes that I was facing and to flip that and try to be just be not those stereotypes. And it was all about creating an image so that I can be seen in this world. Mm. We had um, Lauren uh, Leville on and then I was recently watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I don't know if you watched that show, but I've brought it up on this podcast more times than I should have. And there's, um, on the most recent series, there's um, a housewife called Crystal, and she is Chinese. And both Lauren's experience as she's a mixed-race black woman living in California, and um, Crystal's a Chinese woman living in California. And both of them had spoken about their own eating disorders, and had both said that for them it was about how could I get myself closer to whiteness, to that, that being you know, feeling like if I can, yeah, be, make myself kind of more like the white people around me, then maybe I'll face less racism, essentially. Um, Was that what it was for you, do you think? Like, part of that was like, like you say, trying to prove these stereotypes wrong. And I imagine in fashion as well, and in that Mm -hmm. space, that that was like a thing as well, that I don't I mean I don't know the exact kind of pressures in America specifically but yeah what what was that for you Yeah um it definitely is that and I think that um the interesting thing is you have to kind of come to this place where you decide to just reject the culture um like this ideal image you have to reject that because the reality is when you're pursuing those things and when you're presenting yourself in a certain way, people do treat you better. And that's Mm -hmm. why we are advocating, you know, for, um, for people to be treated as people and to be treated equally, no matter what, because the reality is, is when you're super skinny, when you are closer to whiteness, when you make yourself super likable, um, from the sense of like a cultural standpoint, you do get treated better. And, you know, you don't want to be treated like crap. And and Black women, especially dark skin, especially here in America, um, and that's my experience, so I keep saying in America, um, because 
I do, and I do know that that experience is is similar across all countries. Um, but you kind of find this place where you're like, okay, well, if I need to do this so that I can be treated like this, you you do that because it feels better to be treated better. And you know, even black black women as children, we're even taught like, oh yeah, you're gonna always have to give you know three times more than your your colleagues because you're going to have to work triple as hard to be viewed the same and that's something that's instilled in us as kids and you know it's hard to break that cycle um but it's so necessary because like the toll that it has on your mental health it is absolute and it is something that is so powerful and it can grip your mind for years and you know breaking all that down takes a lot of active trauma work it takes a lot of active unlearning and um just figuring out how to show up in the world in the way that's authentic to you so that you aren't subjecting yourself to all of this um all of these stereotypes and trying to also counteract them because i had to come to a point where i'm just like I I can't care what you guys think. I can't care about the stereotypes that you have projected onto me. I just need to be able to be able to be free and be myself. Um, And so that is, that definitely was a big part of my journey at the beginning and just trying to get closer to whiteness, which is really hard when you're dark skin. (laughs) Like you have to, being thin was the thing that I can control. Um, Well, I felt like I control, you know, our bodies that's a whole different conversation Mm -hmm. (laughs) about genetics. But um, I felt like it was the one thing that I can control um, in order to present myself differently. Yeah. And I, you know, having had a very sheltered sort of upbringing and kind of where I grew up is like a small town with very few I mean it's very white very white and so the the these are experiences that I'm learning about and mm-hmm. I think it's um but it I compl- I don't completely get it but I'm trying to understand because I think when you're seeing this beauty standard and this body standard as often being white people mm-hmm. and with having these certain features and certain body shapes and stuff like and it, I mean, and that's just from like that beauty perspective, mm-hmm. let alone, like you say, being seen as, you know, um, being having to be highly qualified mm-hmm. for a position that someone like me could, you know, be like averagely qualified for um, mm-hmm. is like really important for all of us to understand. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Coming out the other side of that healing process and going through that healing process where you're at now um how have yeah how does that inspire you and what do you want to take from your own journey to share with others I mean you create some awesome content around all of this um and you're always having brilliant discussions around body image and the intersections between um being a black woman and diet culture and all this stuff so where do you want to what do you want to get across to your community for me the biggest thing is that you just have to learn how to choose yourself over Mm -hmm. what people are telling you to choose and that's the biggest I think friction that people have 
when they are trying to step into the anti-diet and intuitive eating world, because there's still this friction of, um, but I want to be more accepted. I need to be thinner in order to be more accepted. I need to be prettier to be more accepted. And there's this, you have to just come to this conclusion that it's like, I want to show up the way I want to show up and I'm going to choose that over this. And I'm going to choose that every single time. And it's a journey because while we are still, you know, anti-diet culture is becoming more and more prevalent. People are talking about it more and more, but it's not, is not bigger than diet culture. Like that voice is is not bigger than Mm -hmm. diet culture at this point. It's easy to feel like it is because Mm -hmm. we curate our online spaces and, you know, I can just block the diet culture people. I can not follow them. I can make sure that my feed is full of people who are actively anti-diet and actively body liberation. Um, but it's not, it's still not the main voice that's being um, projected. So we have to combat, combat that every single day. And that's why it's always a journey because the society is still very much set up upon um, white supremacy and diet culture. And, It's hard. You can't really have these conversations without talking about race politics because it's all intertwined and it all comes back to that, um, you know, which is why I think it's important to to interject that into the conversation, no matter um, no matter what that conversation is actually about, because you can't really step away from it. It's all about this specific beauty standard um, that is a, a thin, blonde, blue eyed white woman and the closer you can get to that everyone is trying to get closer to that and I think you know it's for all women it's helpful to you know it's going to be helpful to kind of tear down that one ideal and you know I know I'm I like I'm kind of answering your question (laughs) because I'm going into a little bit more but what I want people to know is that you know you have to choose yourself and you have to choose to be actively anti-diet for your mental health. And that's something that is hard for a lot of people um, because of that friction. So every day you have to wake up and make that choice again, especially if you're early in your journey. And I think it's what you're saying is so right. And it's important to kind of reiterate, like it's easier to make that choice if you have certain privileges. Like it's mm-hmm. easier for me as a white woman who is straight sized mm-hmm. to make that choice because I know that society is going to treat me like, all right, you know, mm-hmm. I can go through the world and it's harder. Um, and we know that the larger your body is, the harder it's going to be. Weight mm-hmm. stigma plays its role. And so, you know, it's hard it, when the world feels not set up for your body shape, that can be hard when, like you're speaking from your experience as a black woman that adds another layer in there as well like mm-hmm. I think it's so important we think about that and this is a slight tangent and it's worth kind of bringing up in this conversation but you know obviously there's so much talk around body positivity and all of that stuff and and people especially white women ask but I don't understand why can't I like why do people not want me to talk about this or why do people not want me to take up space in this in this movement Mm-hmm. and um it's because for the people it's hardest for they're the people who need the space mm-hmm. and if you like think about it like oh yeah of course it's easier for me there's a privilege I have that, that makes this easier for me um 
So how can we elevate the people who it's hardest for? I don't know. I don't know if you feel that. Oh yeah, definitely. I did a post about it recently. I think um, it's always about the people who get placed in the forefront um, are often relatively thin white women, um, even if they aren't like super, super skinny. Um, but it's always about palatability, right? It's about, oh, we, you know, we want people to accept our bodies. Um, and, but this is more palatable than this. Um, someone who is like a, a hourglass that might be, you know, like a size 12 or something like that, which is still relatively on the small side. Um, but they're an hourglass and they still have these proportions that are acceptable. That's going to be more palatable than someone who is fat without those proportions. And then that's going to be more palatable than someone who is black without those proportions. And then that's going to be more palatable than someone who is black and fat. And then that's going to be more palatable than someone who's black, fat, and disabled. So there's this like hierarchy of palatability and you see it, you know, you see it on, on online. A lot of this movement is happening um, online and you see which bodies are put to the forefront. And I, that's why I think it's important for people in straight size bodies to talk about their thin privilege. And that includes me. I'm, and I always say this, I'm like, I'm a dark skinned black woman in America and I can still talk about a level of privilege that I have, which means that anybody can, can do that. Um, because I know from experience of my life that who I am as a person, my size and the way that I pre present in the world as a super extroverted bubbly person, I know that people are going to take me as more palatable than other, mm. um, black women. And, that has been my experience and that is still my experience because of who I am as a person. Not just that, but just because I learned at an early age how to navigate around that because I had to <laughs> in order to like get through school without yeah, feeling like being crushed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, and that's something that we all learn is it's called code switching. We learn how to do that because we have to something that we need and we still need you know, even if we are very committed to being as ourselves as we can, when we go into a corporate office, we still code switch. Like, it's just the mm -hmm. thing that's mm -hmm. going to be until we can actually change the way that society um, views these different groups, these different marginalized groups. And there is a lot of them. I usually I talk about my experience as a black woman because that's the one that I know. Yeah. Um, but there's there are plenty of marginalized groups um, that have similar experiences um, and are discriminate discriminated against in a similar way. And we have a long we have a very long way to go. <laughs> and that's mm -hmm. why it's going to take people continuously putting forward and giving a, a voice to people who aren't getting enough um, exposure. And I think, you know, the, the people in that are ahead and the leaders of this, I say leaders, I don't mean leaders because they're not actually leading the anti-diet revolution. They're the face of it. Um, mm -hmm. and these are, you know, thin white women. It, you know, they have to decide to take it upon themselves to give a voice and give, and like maybe give some of their platform to more people and, you know, I'm still relatively small as an influencer, um, but I try to promote people who I definitely feel like aren't getting enough views and they're not getting promoted enough. And I think in order for us to 
make people more visible, you have to make them more visible. Like you just have to do it. It's not really like a a big question of what can we do? It's more of a, just do the thing. Like Mm -hmm. it's really easy for someone. Um, like I, I'm like debating whether I want to call out specific names because I I don't want to like come across as like, I'm saying you need to do this because it's really not about that. Um, but you know, we, we all know who the most popular people in this niche are. So I don't really need to say their names, but it takes those people saying, you know what, I'm going to share this fat black person's Instagram, not just like, Oh, black, you know, uh, black voices is trending. Amplify black voices is trending. I'm going to share right now, but I'm going to continuously week after week, share this person until I see that they're getting more visibility. I'm going to make it a point to share these people because they need more visibility. And it's a decision that you have to continue to make. You know, last June, everyone's like, I'm, you know, I'm committed. I'm here to do the work. I want to learn. I want to be better. A, li- a year later, most of them aren't doing anything like they're not committed at all and they were never committed they just were jumping on the thing that was trending at the time um so it really just takes continuously doing that and continuously unlearning and continuously giving visibility to people who need it most and when you're doing your posts around all of this stuff like how do you find the reception um when you talk about maybe even something um, like intuitive eating or anything like how do you find the receptionist to that do you feel like you have like a really supportive community who get it or are there trolls are there people who want to question you that may not question maybe me I don't know do you find that I think um, I definitely have a supportive community overall mm-hmm. and I do get trolls but I get less trolls as someone who is actually in a fat body Um, So when I talk about like fat phobia um, and I talk about being anti-diet, I might get a couple like, I mean, and there's, they're few and far between Mm. of people are like, oh, well you, you're just overweight. And it's just like, they're just saying that because they're trying to insult me. Don't find it insulting. I really don't care if they think I'm overweight or fat or whatever. Um, But because I actually am in a straight size body, I don't get a lot of trolls like that because you know, they can look through my Instagram and see that I am moving my body, that I am, uh, you know, eating nutritious foods, and that I am not in a body that is fat. So it's like, it's, it's hard for me to, um, to say that I get a lot of trolls, because I don't, because of that level of palatability that I have. Mm. And I think that, that is something that I try to address on my platform, because I think it's important to say like, hey, I got this comment. Let me tell you what they're trying to do. And let me tell you why that doesn't mean that it's oppressive for me. Because when I go out into this world, people don't view me as, you know, a fat person. People usually view me as a fit person. And I think that I look larger in my pictures than I do in actual life. So that's even more like true when I go out into this world. I'm not viewed in that way. Um, so I always try to be honest and say, I'm not saying this is an oppressive thing for me. Like, um, but you can't really teach about anti-diet culture without talking about that. Um, because you're you're then ignoring the the uh the um the way that this movement was institutionalized. And you can't 
you can't really teach and build a foundation without the foundation, you know, mm-hmm. everything crumbles and it, it soon just begins to mimic diet culture. You just have this kind of like parallel diet culture of this, this still, this image now, oh, I'm anti-diet. I'm, but I'm, you know, that size 12 curvy white woman, like, and that's just another parallel to diet culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that it's, it's really hard because I would never sit and say, you white woman can't share your experience with your personal body image. Um, because I think that everybody deserves to be able to talk about their struggles and everyone does struggle with body image. Um, which is why I always try to categorize them separately. I say that there's this side of, um, you know, body image work that's very personal. It's about your personal body image work and, you know, your lived experience and you working through that. And then there, there is this activism side. And I think that there are two separate things. And I think a lot of people have trouble separating them and saying, you know, when, when someone says, um, you know, the body positivity movement has been whitewashed and the roots of it have been erased. Someone who, you know, is recovering from body dysmorphia and bulimia and they feel like what you're saying is well you're saying I can't have had an eating disorder because I'm white but that's not what anyone has said um it's now you're talking about your personal experience which is very personal but this activism side is a institution of marginalized bodies that are systematically oppressed. And that is very different than having a personal struggle that you have to work through. Because even if you, you know, have this personal struggle, when you go out into the world and present as a thin white woman, like you're not being oppressed for being in a fat body, even if you have body dysmorphia that tells you that you're larger than you are. Um, So it's like, it's really hard to kind of navigate all of that because these conversations, they need to be, um, they need to be separate, but then they also need to be intertwined. So it's very nuanced and it's very, you know, hard to, to project that on Instagram when our accounts are our own, like it's my account, like all I'm posting is me. And that's Mm -hmm. true for most people on Instagram, unless they have like a repost account. But for the most part, everybody on Instagram is posting pictures of themselves. So it's kind of like, it's hard to to talk about it on an Instagram level because you're just like, but it's my account. I'm going to post myself. You know what I mean? I um, feel you completely because I have <laughs> the same view as you. And I, I struggle with, cause I'm so sympathetic and supportive of people saying like, we need to, you know, like I very deliberately do not talk about body positivity or use hashtags or mention it at all in my work. Cause it's not what I do. But um I know I get associated with it an awful lot not but I think just by people being really confused about the definition of what body positivity is um and yeah I've been I've been to talks I've had conversations I've seen discussions of being had of like well if you're this person who has all this privilege like you know we don't need to see another bikini pic or whatever I don't know whatever it is and I like I get that on that activism level, and I think it's so important you're separating those two things. Like I get that on an activism level, but I am a hundred percent with you that on a personal level, like we all have these experiences, and if we're not able to talk about ourselves and our own experiences in our own space on our own page, 
Like, where can we talk about it? Where, where can we work through this stuff? Um, and, you know, I, I've i kind of come to the kind of conclusion that I'm going to talk about my stuff on my page. And I also know that not everyone needs to agree or relate to my experience. And I get that because how could I possibly have, <laughs> how could I have a universal experience <laughs> for like everyone's different um you know various uh you know history with body image or food or exercise or whatever it is right but I think it's important like you were saying to share those people with different experiences so who can add to that kind of fabric of experience mm-hmm. and we get to hear everyone else's and we get to and you get to find that person you resonate with you know I, I appreciate my audience largely look like me in general mm-hmm. like shape size height um everything and because they relate to me it Mm -hmm. resonates with them and I imagine that a lot of your followers probably are similar to you uh you know interest the interesting thing is is just that's just like not true um because you remember what I was talking about earlier with how it's harder for black women to accept the anti-diet life because Mm. you have to you have this kind of palatability that you need in order to be accepted in life Um, so I find that like black women are less likely to accept the anti-diet movement because of that. And my audience, um, currently is about, let's see, I'm going to tell you the exact number (laughs) because I think it's important to call this out too, so that we can, we can see what it looks like. I can't find it right now, but you know, my audience is about 70% white. Um, and that has always been interesting to me because I am not white. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. people's accounts, like your people's followers mirror um, the person, you know, Mm. that is projecting an image because like Mm. you are drawn to people who look like you or, or who are like you in general. I find that my audience and personality type and, um, and the way that we think and the type of experience that we've had with eating disorders, that's where the similarities are. Um, uh, but my audience is only like, um, like 8% black women. So, you know, I would love to increase that number Mm -hmm. because I think that, uh, as black women, we need to hear the message more and more and more. Um, but I also know that I also know what black women are facing when it comes to body image. So I understand that a lot of us aren't ready to to own that part and like to learn and be actively anti-diet because a lot of us need our bodies to like be seen in this world as as something as anything um so it's interesting that you bring that up because i was just thinking about that the other day um about how my audience is more white than than black and i think um that there is still there is still a level of you know similarities there of course um but i also think a lot of people followed me during the time where you know people were trying to amplify black voices and um because of that because a lot of white people are trying to unlearn um at that time they followed me in that time frame and i think that's what like really made it so that my audience was more white than it was black um but i think that we all should be able to learn from each other. And we, you know, there are, I follow many different types of people, many different accounts, very diverse accounts. Um, And, you know, although I know that this 
movement has been whitewashed. I'm not out here saying I'm not following any of these white people because to me, that's that's just not like there are people I like to learn from as well. And there are people who are out there with, you know, they're doctors and they have all this research. So, yeah, I'm going to look at it like <laughs> I'm going to learn from that, too. Um, but I think that we just need to do a better job of uh, giving more visibility to people who need it. Yeah. I agree. And do you think if there was more visibility in this space for um, creators like yourself, that maybe that would, you know, that, you know, there was more opportunity to be platformed, that there would, that maybe more black women would maybe be like, oh, I didn't see myself in this before, but I see myself now. Do you, mm-hmm. do you think that could be, could be a, a path forward? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, it'd take time, though, because mm-hmm. of the way that we are scrutinized by society, by men. Um, but I think that, you know, the more the more people that look like you that are talking about this specific thing and, you know, sharing an experience that's similar and came to a specific conclusion, the more we'll be on that train. Um, but like I said, it's going to be easier for someone in a, who's in a straight size body to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I call that out because for me, I think it was probably easier because like my body has the ability to be small, I lose and and, bang, and gain weight very easily. And I feel like because of that, like it was easier for me to jump in on that side of it because is. If I, if I make any changes in my movement or in the way that I eat, like my body will get smaller and that's just how my personal genetics work. So I don't have this, you know, this other barrier of being in a a large body. So another distinction I wanted to discuss with you, um, is the distinction between being anti-diet and being anti-dieter and, or not being anti-dieter, um, (laughs) Because you did a really good post about this. And I just think this is such a common misconception when people say like, I'm anti-diet. And then they automatically assume that you kind of like hate and judge every single person who chooses to lose weight. And I wanted to hear your take on this. Yeah, um, it's always been very interesting to me because I think we as a society has a tendency to blame the individual versus the system. And we see it, we see it paralleled in so many different ways, like with capitalism, like people will be like, oh, well, you just need to go work three jobs instead of, and instead of like just working the one minimum wage job, you need to get three and be working all the time. And you're like blaming that individual cause calling them lazy. Um, and then with diet culture, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, we are being told all of our lives that we need to be thin. And so, you know, it isn't, you know, isn't hard to believe that someone is going to have trouble letting go of dieting because of that. And so, you know, we can't get mad at a person who who has all these um th- these thoughts thrown at them that they need to be skinny. We can't get mad at that person for wanting to diet and wanting to be smaller. Um, who we need to hold accountable for these things are the people who are actually leading this diet culture. And I'm talking about physicians. I'm talking about um, trainers who aren't versed in eating disorders. I'm talking about dietitians and nutritionists, people who are educated, and they should have enough knowledge to understand that diets don't work. Um, Because 
these are people who are going to continue projecting this diet culture. And you hear it all the time, you know, people will go to the doctor or something's wrong with them. And instead of the thing being addressed, they're like, you need to just lose weight. And weight is just so much focus on, like I went, I went to urgent care recently because my neck was hurting. Um, this was a couple of weeks ago. It was so tight and so spasm that I thought that I had nerve damage. So I went to urgent care. Um, and when I came in, they're like, oh, uh, we need to get your weight. And I'm like, I prefer not to be weighed. Like, and they're like, well, we need it because uh, it might affect treatment. I'm like, my neck hurts. Like, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. <laughs> and I had to go on this, you know, whole two minute tangent. And they're like, well, why? And I'm like, because I had an eating disorder for 10 years and I don't want to be weighed. Um, and like that whole discourse, the, it shouldn't even be a thing. Um, I'll have it because I'm at a point where I'm comfortable having that discourse and a lot of people aren't, um, I'm going to advocate for myself, but I think that a lot of people aren't there yet. Um, so they're going to do anything the doctor tells them to do. Um, and I think that it's hard because it's like this person should have, you know, they should be able to give you sound advice because they are educated and yes, of course they know more about medicine than you do. Um, but I do think it's also important to understand your body. Someone who is considered overweight, but, you know, eats a balanced diet and, um, you know, eats nutritious foods, they exercise a few, three times a week is going to be healthier than someone who is classified as normal weight in the BMI, but like they, you know, don't take care of their bodies. They smoke, they, you know, never eat vegetables. They never, uh, you know, work out or anything, that person is going to be less healthy than the person who are doing all those, you know, health encouraging behaviors. And in society, you people think that you can look at someone and be like, oh, you're healthy based on what size they are. And it's literally like when you think about it, it's literally one of the most ridiculous things that you can ever hear because health has so many factors. It's mental, it's physical, it's financial. It's so many different things that like contribute to your health. You can't just like look at someone and be like, yeah, you are healthy. Like that just doesn't even make any sense logically. Um, so I, I think that the way that we start to come to a place where we can um have anti-diet the anti-diet lifestyle or the non-diet approach or so many different ways to say it to be a little bit more um accepted and more common when you walk into the doctor's office to continue to advocate um for yourself personally and to continue to um promote the advocation of this type of lifestyle and the liberation of, of fat bodies and like, and all of these different things that go into it. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that an individual, an individual is not responsible for these systems that's causing all this oppression. And it's not their fault that, you know, they're seduced by diet culture because most of us were, I'm like, what do I look like? I, you know, 10 years in, in an eating disorder and, self-promoting diet culture and promoting diet culture to my friends and family and even briefly Instagram promoting diet culture all of a sudden being angry at a person that's doing the exact same thing um because they are me yeah seven years ago yeah. you know what I mean <laughs> same and I think if anything it's just having compassion for that person and going like you're on your own path you're on your own journey and I think for those people who maybe they 
they're in the space because because I, I think what happens is like you discover what diet culture is you discover all you know all its kind of layers and facets and how much it's impacted you and your relationship mm-hmm. with food and your body and exercise and then you notice it's everywhere and you're just angry because of course you are it's like the first right. page of grief right it's like you're just angry mm-hmm. and you and you have no time for it but and and I think with that that's when people start pointing fingers and be like you shouldn't be doing this you shouldn't be doing that right and I know I've been in that headspace for sure and so it's been like a slow kind of process of chilling out a bit and just going do you know what we're all on our own path and I'm gonna kind of put the information out there and share discussions and present an alternative perspective mm-hmm. and when you're ready I'm here but I'm not going to try and shove this down your throat if you're not ready to hear it um, right because otherwise people go you know I think they kind of um go even firmer in their their views or even firmer you know and I think it's Brené Brown said like um shame should n- never be used as a so- as as a tool for social change and i think shaming people for wanting to lose weight is not going to lead to the long you know if you want someone to be open minded to a different perspective further down the road they're just going to think well these people just shame other people this this movement just they're telling me it's going to remove my shame but i felt shamed by it you know helpful at all to shame anyone mm-hmm. like it just isn't um and i think we see because there are people within kind of this anti-diet movement who do that um i don't think that it's like a large amount of people yeah I um, but that's but that's who the people focus on <laughs> that is, that is who they're going to focus on because it it's just what we do as society society we focus on the most negative thing we can possibly find and um you know say that everyone is doing this and I'm like nah everyone isn't like actually most people aren't <laughs> yeah so it's, it's really interesting you're so right I was listening I'm not I'm not gonna get like the source correct but I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about it that we're naturally gravitate towards just like negative headlines negative mm-hmm. news negative this but there are positives going on and there are you know there are you know good things happening and we shouldn't ignore that um right but yeah, I do think that we need to like make that distinction. And I think it's also, like I say, on that individual level, like whether it's like your friend group and you're looking around and you've got friends who are going on diets, like if you don't want to talk about it, then you like just, it's important to set the boundary and say like, I appreciate you have the autonomy to do whatever you want to do, but please, can we just not discuss it? And, right. you know, I think it doesn't need to be, you know, like an absolute shutdown. Like, how dare you do that? Mm-hmm. Do you know what? Yep. I, I I think everyone has their own journey. Right. Um. So I wanted to talk about as well. I mean, we could talk about so many things, but I wanted <laughs> to talk about your relationship with exercise as well, because that's something you've really spoken about in terms of how it's evolved. I mean, we mentioned mm-hmm. like the hours in the gym, in um when kind of deep in eat disordered times but what has the evolution been and where are you at now yeah it's so it's really has been an interesting journey um because I think 
you know, a lot of people in recovery, they walk away from exercise for a while. Um, and I didn't do that. And that's mostly because I recovered on my own. So I didn't have anyone telling me to, you know, that that would be helpful. You know, looking back, I now understand why. And I definitely encourage people to do that. Um, But when I decided that I could no longer do this keeping up with the Joneses thing, I started to use exercise just to help with my mental health. And that's that's kind of what helped me shift um, because I was I was most concerned with with relieving symptoms of depression. And um, that is how I viewed exercise like that is all it was for for a time. And, you know, that's when I discovered weightlifting. And that was definitely, I think that was 2016, um, like right before I decided to get a certification um, and training. And I just started to use exercise to help me with endorphins and to feel good about myself and to feel strong and to feel powerful versus to feel, um, to get thin and to, you know, look better. And I needed that transition in order to fix my relationship with exercise and view it as something that was more um, for your overall health. And I think um, it's definitely evolved even more since then um, because I did briefly get almost wrapped back up in diet culture through lifting and through being on Instagram Mm -hmm. and, you know, seeing the the grow your butt. This is when, you know, growing your butt with exercise was first coming out and was first popular. So I briefly (laughs) like dabble in that kind of thing. Um, and I remember the specific moment when I was like, whoa, what happened? This is not where I want to be. Um, someone came, it was a follower of mine that came on my page and are like, uh, see, this is why I can't follow, follow influencers like you because I can't grow my butt like this. Um, and I was like, shoot, this isn't what I want to be doing. Like, this isn't how I want to show up in the world. And so I did another like pivot and it was, that was brief. Uh, you know, you know how, when you first start out on the, on the journey, like you, over time let go of diet culture is not really like a a automatic unlearning Mm -hmm. thing um so you know that was like a big moment for me to pivot even more and that's when I really started to do the research into anti-diet culture um and so you know over the years I have found that exercise is something that can be viewed as something that is enjoyable and you don't have to do one type of exercise. Like you don't have to be a gym rat. I am like, I love the gym. Um, but there are times where I don't want to lift and that's totally fine. And I think before it was like, no, I have to, I have to lift. Like, this is my mode of exercise and this is what I have to do. Um, but now it's like, I love lifting. And sometimes I have a program and I am doing that. And, uh, sometimes I need time off of that. And like, walking and jumping rope and biking and all these things that I like to do it's okay to do all of those things and it's okay to have you know times where your exercise is literally dancing like a crazy person in your bedroom and that is movement and it's okay to be to have movement like that and it's okay for it to be something that is joyful um I think it's important because what I find is that when people are like I hate exercise I don't I hate it I hate moving I'm like it that's probably not true. The what you're saying is you don't like the gym is usually what people are saying. Mm. And that's totally fine. Like and I'm like, if you really truly hate exercise but want to know how to move, then get think outside the box. Like when you go to Target, park at the very back spot and like 
you, you know, get that walk in and things like that. Like just get creative with it. If you find that movement is important, but you don't really want to engage in it. Um, and I think that flipping your perspective about movement and which is what I did, but flipping that perspective will help you to enjoy the benefits of movement because you're going to realize that there's not one way to move. Like you don't have to be someone who lifts weights all the time. You don't have to be a runner. Like, and those are the two things that people kind of like think that they need to be doing. Um, I was going to bring up, you don't need to be that. I was going to bring up the running thing because I was having a conversation today with someone and running came up and they were like, Oh, I hate running. I should go, but I just hate it. Like, well, you don't, you don't have to go. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. Like, well, if running's not for you, running's not for you. And you're so right. It's either the gym or it's running. And then there's so much identity with that. It's like, I'm a gym rat. I'm a runner. I lift. And as someone who's been in the gym side of it, I've been like, I lift weights. That's what mm-hmm. I do. And letting go of that identity was a bit scary at times, I'll be honest, of like, mm-hmm oh what what do I do what do I like doing um right how was that for you like have you felt like a bit of an identity shift or like having to let go of like labels around what you do and what what's that been what's that like experience been it's for me it's just I didn't really like notice it um it was a natural pivot that happened because of the pan pan, the can't talk the pandemic (laughs) um being stuck at home and realizing that I couldn't go to the gym like I couldn't lift weights Mm -hmm. um and it was was particularly frustrating because I was in the middle of a programming that I started right before the shutdown happened um and so the transition just happened over time because it was necessary for me to learn it at that time um and I, I always think it's interesting having to be locked down um because that was a time that really solidified this whole anti diet culture for me um and I had, you know, I had spent about two and a half, three years doing all the learning and like seeing the benefits and putting it into practice and starting to practice it. But you remember I said earlier when I started my recovery, I didn't take a break from the gym. Um, And it was like this latent uh, step in my recovery, the pandemic was because Mm -hmm. I didn't go to the gym and I needed that. I needed that time. I needed to see like to allow my body to gain weight. Um, I needed to allow myself to really understand intuitive eating more. Um, And because I wasn't active at the time, it really helped me understand it better. Um, Because like during the time that I was like in recovery, like, you know, I was still lifting weights three to five times a week. And then I had a very active job because I was a server and bartender. So like my, you know, I would work a six hour shift and I'm running around the whole time. And so like, it was just my lifestyle fostered a place where I didn't have to think about, you know, the, the kind of the societal negativities that came with gaining weight. Mm -hmm. Um, because I just, my body, like, like I said, like it's very genetically, like it very easily loses and gains weight, um, based on my lifestyle and what I'm doing. And because I had so much movement at that time, I was just small. Like I was, you know, I was like a size zero to two at that point. Um, and I was still in a healthy body. Just my lifestyle was, you know, it was allowing me to be that small. And then like, you know, now I'm like in a size six body. And for me, like that weight gain and understanding that it's okay, solidified by allowing my body to do that during the pandemic. So that's how I really like shift it. 
So do you think that break was like quite confronting in some ways? A bit like it was. Oh, you're not the first person to say this as well. Like we've had previous guests on here. Um, we had an Irish um, blogger, Roz, say this. Like she had a break and then broke her ankle as well, and was like, mm. "Wow." I'd come a long way in so many other aspects, but to have mm-hmm. a forced break when you can't really do much is a real challenge. And it's how you deal with that challenge, you know, mm-hmm. how you come out the other side of it. And you're like, oh, okay, I've come a long way. Cause you know, old, you know, that dark culture voice, that, that old kind of thought pattern of like, how can I cope with this? Like what's mm-hmm. to kick in real hard and to, to you know, to move past that must have felt like quite an accomplishment. Yeah, and 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 more so that it will it also made me confront the internal um like ideas of fat phobia that I still yeah. had. And you know, unlearning that's where I really started to unlearn those um because when you are in a small body, it's and I, and I'm not saying this to say I'm not still because I am still in the small body. And so I want to throw that out there first, but when you are like in a small body that is viewed as acceptable by society. Um, and, you know, even in some senses coveted by other people, it is harder to understand your own fat phobia. And it's harder to like, to see it and see how those ideas are like affecting the way that you think and behave. Um, because you just, you're small. It's hard. It's hard to like understand the discrimination and the um, systematic oppression aspect of it, unless you have it. Um, And it's like gaining the weight and seeing what my body like look like and like having those feelings of, oh my gosh, I can't let myself gain this weight. Um, Like having those feelings and like being able to confront those, that is what like really kind of locked it all in for me to understand and, you know, even be able to talk about it and teach it better um, because I had a better understanding of what it was like um, to actually gain the weight and, um, and to actually like feel what it's like to gain weight. So, um, it was, it was an extremely important step in my unlearning. Um, and I'm grateful for it. You know, I would say similarly, I had probably slowly been gaining weight for a few years of my own recovery. And then the pan- yeah pandemic kind of accelerated that a bit. And yeah, it was like an adjustment. It was certainly an adjustment, but it's made me better at what I do, I think like you say because you can you have to work through your own stuff you have to work through that voice in your head you have to question your own fat phobia like you have to do all those things and it can feel really hard in the moment um but I think it's one step closer to to feeling more you and kind of coming back to that point of going like I want to be who the person who makes me happy Exactly. And I want to be the person who accepts myself. Mm-hmm. I think it's that one step closer to that, isn't it? Just being your truest self. Yep. Yep. For sure. And it really helped me to see weight gain and weight loss as like a neutral thing. Yeah. It's just like bodies just, they just be changing. Like, and, <laughs> they do. Cares. and it's just like, okay, whether like I might be more lean sometimes and I might be more thick sometimes. And both of those things are fine. It's neutral. It's just, a thing and like it's whatever um and that's before the pandemic I still had a positive negative association um with you know weight loss and weight gain and 
even though I didn't think I did, I didn't realize that I did until going through that lockdown phase. And now it's just, you know, it's a whatever thing, like it's neutral. So yeah, neutrality is such a great place to get to, whether we're talking about a body with food, with Mm -hmm. exercise, even, you know, so important. Um, Oh, I've loved chatting with you. And like I say, we could carry on and carry on. Um, Forever. (laughs) But I have to ask, what has been, Tiffany, your most recent train happy moment? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. So think of it as like, oh no, you go. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I always think of it as, often people think of it as like, when have I been happy when I'm exercising? But Think of it when you're, you know, when have I just had a win against diet culture, had a moment of like choosing myself rather than choosing other people's opinions, you know? Mm -hmm. It's so hard to choose one moment because I feel like I have, I have them. I have those moments like all the time. Um, And like, I think, I think that that should happen because this is a journey, right? Um, So you should probably have those moments a lot. (laughs) Um, but for me, it, it really is, has been when I go to the doctor and I'm able to advocate and be like, like, no, like, I don't want to know what I weigh and Mm. I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want you to show it to me or tell me, um, and I, or I don't want to step on scale at all and getting comfortable with advocating for myself is a big win for me because it took me a few years to get comfortable doing that. And it's super helpful. Um, when you are someone who struggled with body dysmorphia, um, and you know, I used to weigh myself obsessively. And since that was such a big part of my eating disorder, it was important for me to be able to advocate for myself and be like, no, I don't want to be weighed because it could possibly trigger me. Eating disorders are mental health. Um, so even if you went through recovery, you still have the potential to be triggered and, you know, start engaging in some of those behaviors again. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be triggered. Um, and I'm comfortable with telling you that. So that's a, that's a huge win for me. I really, really appreciate that. Um, and Tiffany, just in general, thank you so much for today. Thank you for just sharing all your insights and a real honest conversation. It's been so great Where can everyone find you support your work share your work um you can find me on instagram primarily at tiffany ema and my website is tiffanyema.com you can sign up for the email list which you know i'm working on so if you sign up don't expect the email right away um but i am working on a few things right now that you will be able to support so definitely follow me on instagram for updates and um you know i'm always going to be here with lots of ideas and tips and support so definitely you know message me if you need to yeah i'm gonna link all of that in the show notes and i just want to confirm that by saying tiffany's a great follow i followed you for a long time now and i get a lot from what you do so yeah go follow (laughs) (laughs) Um, thank you so much i really hope we get to do this again yeah for sure thank you so much for having me And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the Train Happy message. 
And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the Train Happy Trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. And it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.